Sometimes even the words I exhort you on enough, are they? <laughs> you know, you, we run out. We run out of, um, of things to say. And I just, just felt this morning, and I feel again just to say that, you know, whatever circumstance you're facing today, some, maybe you couldn't sing those words. Maybe they were just a little too difficult to get out of your mouth. But do you know what the Bible says? That the Holy Spirit takes our groanings and takes the sounds that we make and takes... So for me, that, that says that when I make a frustrating noise or a noise of pain or a shout, that the Holy Spirit can take that and present that to God as an offering. So whether you could sing I exhort you or whether it was just a feeling that you had, be 100% assured that God's heard that this morning and, and he will take you at your word and he will meet you at the point of your need today and, and that's why I'm loving this series so much. You know, week two um, of All I Want for Christmas is you and actually, you know, all I need for Christmas is him. Everything else is periphery stuff. Everything is stuff that I would like and I would want and I'd love to have a, you know, a bit of a play with. But actually, if you're talking about what we need this morning, all we need is him. All we need is him. And Leon brought out so well last week you know, around our key verse and about how you know, everything in a name is directly related to the essence or the character of the person that's in that name. You know, and especially through the Bible, biblical names weren't given by accident and so neither was this one. And, and the, the verse that we're looking at is in Isaiah 9, 6. And for to us a child is born, to us, to you and me today, a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so week two is Mighty God. And um, I don't know whether you ever sat and thought about that and thought, isn't that a weird thing to say over a child? He shall be called Mighty God. Doesn't that raise up a question for you then? Is, is Isaiah suggesting that Jesus is God? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. And not just God, but a mighty one. And so we're going to unpack that a little bit this morning about what that actually means. And um, we're going to take and look at, is Jesus really God? And I'm going to look at a little test this morning um, that I think and that I've seen and I've heard before that actually clarifies to me that actually I can say with all certainty this morning that Jesus Christ is God. And we're going to apply this little test firstly to myself and then to Jesus. Because you may struggle with that concept. That is Jesus really God? Can he be? How can he be? So looking at me then, how do you know that I'm really Jane? If this is your first time in this building today and I got up here, how would you know that I'm really who I say I am? I could be anybody, just chosen the name to say Jane. She could be locked in a toilet somewhere. Um, <laughs> you know, for all you know, if you don't know me, I'm just telling you that I am. So there's these three things. The first thing is that other people have told you. So Leon stood up here and said, this is Jane, she manages FaZe, you know, she's part of our teaching team, which implies that I've been here before and I've done this before, and we've had conversations about it. So actually, other people have told you. The second thing is, there is evidence about my life. So if you wanted to research me, you will find that there is a birth certificate that says I was born. There's a wedding certificate that says I was married. There'll be a house somewhere, there'll be a housing document that says that, that the house that we own is ours, with our names on it. So all of this evidence to link to the fact that I actually am living a life on planet Earth as Jane, okay? So other people have told you, if you look, there'll be evidence that links my life. And the third thing is, I'm telling you I am. 
I'm telling you I am. I'm claiming to be. I know exactly who I am and what I am, you know? And I, can, I make that claim with all certainty. So they're the three things. So let's apply them to Jesus, okay? So Jesus, other people have told you who he is. Have they, you say? Yes, they have. Remember the angel when Mary was going to give birth? The angel came to Mary and said that she would give birth to the Son of God. Now, I'm not really, you know, up in biology, but I do know that when a human and a human get together, they produce a human. So if humans give birth to humans, then surely God can only give birth to God. Surely. So there's my first one. The second one, do you remember Thomas? Doubting Thomas. I bet he loves that every time somebody says that about him. I bet he'd love to get rid of, of, rid of that little handle on his name, that little label. But Thomas, Jesus um, had died, had, had resurrected. Thomas wasn't there. He doubted all of that stuff. He doubted it was true. So Jesus took the time to appear to him. And what did Thomas say to Jesus? He said, my Lord and my God. Now, Thomas was a Jew, and I would imagine a very good one. I think he knew, probably would know the Bible inside out. And he would know that you can only address someone as God if they were actually God. Otherwise, he'd be blaspheming. And for a Jew, that was a no-no. There is no way I believe that Thomas would have said something that wasn't true, that wasn't truth, because he would have been... Um, sullying or dirtying all of the stuff that he'd believed for the whole of his life. He knew that to address somebody as God, there had to be God. Inconceivable to think he would have done anything else. And there are other occasions in the Bible. They're just two I've picked out for you this morning. So others have told you. Evidence. What evidence do we have? Now, if I was a spy, I'd have loved to have been a spy. I really would have loved to have been a spy. I don't think I'd have been very good at it, but I would have loved to have been. And things like that really, really sort of interest me and intrigue me. And if you notice, when they're going to meet somebody, they get this little code going, don't they? It's like, well, you're going to meet him by that statue. You'll sit on a park bench. He'll come with a briefcase. You'll come with a briefcase. You'll say, it's really sunny today. He'll say, the clouds are really bad over Belgium. And you're in. <laughs> and you're in. Six ticks in a box. And I'm who I say I am. Listen, when we apply evidence to Jesus, it's a whole nother level. It's a whole nother level. Jesus fulfilled one Old Testament prophecy after another. Actually, 322 of them. Blows my sixth thing out the water. 322. Made over a thousand years before his birth. The odds of one man fulfilling just eight of those, okay, just eight of those prophecies are one in 10 to the 17th power. So that's 100 with 15 noughts after it. 100 with 15 noughts after it. The probability and the likelihood of one man fulfilling all 322 is one in 10 to the 97th power. That's one with 97 zeros. I can't even imagine that number in my head. 97 zeros after it. Those are the odds and Jesus did it. Those are the odds and Jesus did it. And actually, he fulfilled 12 of them 12 of them before he could even walk and he fulfilled 10 of them before he'd even left the womb. I don't know whether what you're like with odds and stuff but I tell you, somebody who can pull that off, they've got me. There's your evidence. The third thing is Jesus said he was. Do you know there are seven times in John's gospel where he actually tells people who he is? 
He tells people who he is. And the Jews knew exactly what he was saying. Do you remember the woman who was caught in adultery? And they brought her to him and Jesus said, you know, he who has, you know, can cast the first stone. He knew exactly what he was doing in that moment. And I can say with all certainty this morning that Jesus is God. Even based on that little test there, proves to me that Jesus is God. But you still may be sitting there going, but Jan, I don't understand it. I don't get it. I don't, you're telling me stuff and my brain isn't computing, it's not holding it. Listen, every day I believe in things that I can't understand. Every single day and so do you. Do you know what? I don't understand everything about electricity. Doesn't stop me turning the light switch on. Doesn't stop me cooking my food. Don't understand how it works. I don't understand everything about breathing, but I'm quite happy to be breathing. I don't have to think about that and understand the mechanics of it before I do it. I don't understand gravity, but I don't, you don't find me throwing myself off a building. Or, do you know what I mean? We, we can use that as an argument. When I understand it, then I'll believe it. Listen, you will never, ever understand how Jesus is God. But you can accept the words of somebody else. You can accept the evidence of somebody else. And you can accept the principle of something before you have an understanding of it. And it's exactly the same thing with this whole issue with Jesus being God. You do not have to understand that Jesus is God to believe it. You know, Jesus said all things are possible to those who believe. There's a great verse in the Bible, John 1, verse 1 to 3. And it says, in the beginning was the word. And the word is like a messenger and it, it it relates to Jesus, okay? So if you wanted to, you could replace that word with Jesus, but we'll read it as is. So in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Now listen, I don't understand at all the slightest comprehension about how Jesus could be present at the creation of the world and then be born as a baby. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. And John 1.14 says this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. I don't understand it, but I can still accept it and believe it and trust him as God and so can you. And so can you. So the God bit is dealt with as far as I'm concerned. But then Isaiah puts this word in front of it, mighty. Changes, adds another level to what we're going to talk about this morning. You know, and Leon spoke so well last week about Jesus being a wonderful counsellor. I want to encourage you, get the podcast and don't just listen to it once, listen to it again. There's so much truth in that that needs to sit with us sometimes because we forget but do you know what? Some things need to root in us. And this series, I think, needs to be rooted in us about the character of who Jesus is. But why didn't Isaiah just say he's a wonderful counsellor? This is my theory, and it's only a theory, but I believe it to be true, is the fact that as a wonderful counsellor, as Leon said last week, the paraclete, he comes alongside, and he walks with me along my journey of life. As the mighty God, he intervenes. He intervenes. And I think there's a link there between those two things. As a wonderful counsel and a mighty God coming together, God can do some business in our lives this morning. 
if we allow him to move from just being the counsellor into a mighty God in our life. Let's let God get involved. So the Hebrew meaning of this phrase is called El Gibor. And um, El is a shortened form of the word Elohim, which is always relates to Almighty when it's in the Bible. And Gibor also means mighty, which threw me a little bit because you've got mighty, mighty. So actually you're saying Jesus is a wonderful counselor and he's mighty, mighty. But actually, what if it's almighty, mighty? How awesome is that? Doesn't that wrap the stakes up a lot? Almighty, mighty. And that word mighty there, Gibor, has three distinct meanings. It means hero, it means warrior, it means champion. And I don't know what you think about when you think about heroes, you know, or who comes to your mind when you hear the term hero. Here's one of mine. Who knows who this is? Jeff Astle. Brilliant. That's a lot quicker than the half nine, I'll tell you. And most of the Albion fans were here at the half nine. I was again a bit worried, actually. Jeff Astle. My dad adored this guy. Every other footballer we've ever had at West Bromwich Albion has been measured to this guy. He's still being sung about 50 years later. He's revered. He's held in such high regard. He's a hero. He's a hero. And we had a really bad game yesterday. Do you know who they sang about? As if, as if he was going to come on. But I think it's the spirit, it's the embodiment of something, isn't it? It's like, come on, where's that astral spirit? You know, and if you're a Villa fan this morning, it could be that bloke whose name I can't remember who scuffed that shot. I'm not even listening to you. That shot off the post. <laughs> that one that's Peter with. I do know who he is. I do know who he is. But wherever you go, if you're into sport, heroes will be admired and revered and held in regard, you know? Songs will be sung about people that don't even practice that sport anymore. You know, it could be an action hero. Maybe you think about Mel Gibson or Vin Diesel or, or if you like my mum, it's John Wayne. Everything revolves around John Wayne and it's film after film after film. Every time I used to go and see it, they'd be, oh, not again. It's been on three million times, you know, and, but, you know, that was her epitome. She loved John Wayne. You know, or there's a military hero or a fantasy hero or you may have somebody like Martin Luther King come to your mind or Mother Teresa and they're all, all amazing people. They have noble character. Heroes are people of noble character and they perform acts of exceptional service, don't they? In times of adversity and show bravery and valor. Look at the Grenfell Fire firemen. You know, in and out of that building, time after time after time, people that are working with terrorism around the world, that go where really I would fear to tread, and yet they're in there on my behalf, battling for me. And do you know what? When we have a hero, we try and pattern our lives a little bit after them, don't we? What is it that they've got? I'd like some of that. I'd like some of that bulldog spirit, we say as a British person, but, you know, we want some of that stuff. But here's where it falls down. All of these people, my dad's hero, he's human. They're all going to have a flaw. They're all going to have a flaw. It will stop them becoming a perfect hero. But you know what Isaiah says in this whole passage? is about this coming Messiah, this Jesus, this God child will become your perfect hero. Will become your perfect hero. Everybody can look up to this guy Everybody can model their lives on him. He's so unique. He's beyond even my ability to explain. He's indescribable. And this is our God. 
This is our God. And Jesus is the hero that will never disappoint you. Do you know what? There's nothing in the closet that's going to come out about Jesus that's going to discredit him. Nothing. And how often do things happen in our world and somebody does something amazing and what does our media do? It pulls all the stuff out of their past that proves that they're not as great as we thought they were. That will never happen with Jesus. Never ever happen with Jesus. He is a hero God. He is El Gabor. He's our God hero. And the second meaning is about warrior. It's the meaning of the word warrior. And if you go back and study um, in the Bible, you know, this word Gibor was said to one other person in the Bible, and that was Gideon. And that was Gideon. And Isaiah hints at this story, you know, and it's a famous story. And, um, and what happens is, if you know the story, is Gideon gets all these people together to fight because an angel said and said, you're a mighty warrior, you're a Gibor. And Gideon's like, what, me? And the angel says, yes, you are. Get your stuff together. We're going on a bit of a journey here. And so he gets all of these, I think it's about, from memory, about, um, about 32,000, I think it was. And they, were, they would be farmers. They wouldn't be like people come out of the SAS. They'd be, they'd be farmers. They'd come with their hooks and their shovels and their picks. And Gideon had to do something with these guys. And then not only did he have 32,000, God said to me, do you know what? There's too many there, chap. We need to spin them down a bit. So they ended up, ended up with 300. And this is the bit that we need to see is that Gideon was really recruited by God to watch what God was about to do. Yes, he had to prepare himself. Yes, he had to be ready to battle. Yes, he had to do all the preparation stuff. He had to do what he needed to do so that God could do what only he could do. And that was warrior and battle on their behalf. And if you look in the Old Testament, story after story after story about God going out and battling on behalf of people. David and Goliath, Jericho, Daniel in the lion's den, he could reel them off. Listen, at the time Isaiah wrote, they would have got that. God's a warrior, God's a battle. Jesus is going to come and do it, isn't he? He's going to come and battle on our behalf. He's going to go out before us. He's going to lead a big army. We're going to be like Gideon, guys. We're going to go back to the days of Gideon. But you know what? Jesus came back to earth and then showed us exactly what this promise actually meant. Because Jesus fought the battles that we could never win. That we could never win. What would be the point of a God? Right, just think about this. What could be the point of a God that, the win, that could win the battles that I could do on my own? What would be the point of having a God like that? Jesus came to win the battles that I could never win. And there's some great examples of that, you know. Remember in the wilderness? Jesus goes out to meet the devil. He gets tempted. Fast for 40 days. Jesus is there. He gets faced with three major temptations for him. You can read it in Matthew chapter 4 when you go home today if you want to. He fought the battle of temptation and he won it for me and for you. And the Bible says that here is a man that was tempted in every way, like you are. But do you know what I think his biggest temptation was in that time? His temptation was to prove that he was God. Because if he'd have turned that bread into stone, if he'd have allowed himself to throw himself off that mountain, and an angel would have caught him, there's no doubt about that. But if he'd have done that, I'd have been lost. Because he needed to keep his humanity clothed around his divinity so that actually he could win a battle for me that I could never win on my own, which is a battle for temptation. And further on that comes the battle for grace. And man, we would never have won that battle, guys. We could be the truest 
purest person on this earth and we still would never have won that battle. We still never would have got there. Only he was good enough. Only he was good enough. He battled for my pride. He battled about my self-righteousness. And praise God this morning, he won that battle for grace. And then how about the battle in Gethsemane? Do you remember that one? He was on his knees. He was on his own. His disciples were probably all asleep. And he said to God, can we do this another way? I'm paraphrasing now. That's, that's what, what he was meaning. Can't we rewrite this story? Can't we do this another way? I'm really feeling this now. This is really heavy. I'm feeling the weight and the pain of what's going to happen to me. And, and I'm, I'm feeling a bit anxious. And I'm sure this is, you know, the conversation that he was having with his father. But then he said, but not my will, but yours. He won the battle for self. He won the battle against my fear, my self-seeking, so that I could put my trust and my faith and being into God's hands. And what is faith? Faith is simply this to me. It's believing that what God says is true. It's choosing to believe that what God says is true. And so then I can trust my being and my life and my family and my circumstances into El Gabor's hands. Because he's going to battle on my behalf. And I had a situation over the last seven days where a situation that we often all have to face, you know, we diff- at different times, at different seasons. My mom was incredibly ill. She's 86, bless her. She loves Jesus. Um, and and she, she was really, really ill, ill to the point where she was breathless. She couldn't get her breath. It was all going horribly wrong for her. Um, we got her admitted into hospital on Wednesday, and then it all started to go wrong. But I just want to applaud those of you that work in the health system that work on the front line and stuff and and get involved in that because I know some of that system is broken but I still know it's the best system that we have and a system that is revered in the world and so thank you for all of you that work in that in that arena I want to honor you this morning but as happens when things are uh, breaking and creaking stuff can get missed and lost and I was in a position on Friday where they were going to discharge my mom they didn't know why she was there um Nobody's going to pick up care for her. And so I, I phoned our GP surgery and, and there was nobody I could speak to. All I kept going was, we can't help you. We can't help you. But can't you just send something to the ward to let them know what's going on about my mum's history? No, the doctor's gone. We can't help you. We can't help you. And, there was, and I, I made a groan. That groan I talked about this morning that, that God takes and works with. I just made a noise and I said, well, thank you very much and put the phone down. I phoned my brother. We, um, he, I was sitting on the, on the floor in the front room in my own house. He was sitting on the stairs and he was saying this. He was going, we've run out of options, Jane. We've run out of options. They're just going to discharge her. She'll come home and she'll die, basically. Nobody's picking up the care and responsibility for this lady. And so honestly, I felt hopeless for the first time in a long time. You know what that feeling is when you want to do something for the people that you love and you just can't? The doors all seem to shut. And then while I was on the phone to my brother, my sister-in-law's phone rang, and it was the doctor's surgeon who rung her back and said, I don't know what it was, there was something in that lady's voice that made me come back into the office, find out what was going on, contact the doctor, send all the stuff through to the ward, please tell her it's done. And do you know what, the, what I'm trying to illustrate here? is that here's my brother on the stairs, we're both having the same thought. The options are done. We do not know where to go. We're both feeling hopeless. 
He's there. He doesn't know Jesus. He's not a Christian. I'm here. And all of a sudden, there's this thing in the back of my head going, of course you've got an option, Jane. Look up. Look up. You've got an option. There is somebody that wants to fight this battle for you. Now, I'm not saying that she's running around the world with a Zimmer frame in her hair. She's not. Is she still ill? Yes, she is. Is it still a long-term process? Yes, it is. But do you know what I need to testify to you this morning is that on Saturday and Friday night, Saturday morning, the diagnosis we had was that she was coming home and she was coming home to die. Now we have a care plan and a care package in place that we were fighting for and was going nowhere. God gets involved, changes somebody's heart, and all of a sudden all these wheels get kicked into motion and, and, the, 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 and the, the, the consultant is saying, well, who told you? Who told you all of this? It's like, you did. You told us this was going to happen. Oh, well, I think we might have misled you there. Do you know, and I'm not... I'm, listen, she's 86. I know she's going to need palliative care at some point. I know that. You know, we're getting older, things start to deteriorate and start to stop working. But do you know what the diagnosis I had on Friday night is not the diagnosis I stand in front of you this morning with? And that is El Gibor. And when you think that we preach from here and we, and we teach from here, listen, we are trying to live this out as well as you. And at that moment, I was desperate and that desperation had clouded my vision of God. That could be you this morning. Has your desperation for something clouded your vision of God? Because let me tell you, look up to the hills and the mountains from where our help comes from. He's our warrior, guys. He battles in places I can't get to. And it isn't just the big miraculous stuff, it's your everyday life. Where in your everyday life this morning do you need to see that battle won and God get involved. And we should be on our feet cheering right now, guys, because this is our God warrior. This is our God warrior. He's fought in the desert. He's fought in the marketplace. He's fought in the garden. He's fought every enemy in every place so that these battles I can't possibly win. He did. He did. And then he's the God champion. He's the God champion. And Leon spoke about David and Goliath a few weeks ago. Do you remember? I tell you what, I've listened to that three or four times because I needed to hear that. I need to understand that actually I'm not going to battle. He is. I'm just watching and seeing what happens. But a champion is somebody who fights on behalf of another. Every step from Bethlehem to Calvary was a battle that Jesus won as a champion for you and for me. And there's this really old story, you know, where they say that Satan was having this conversation with Jesus and Satan was going, you know, anything you can do, I can do. I can do better. Do you remember a kid? You go, you know, I can do that. And Jesus went, go on then. Go on then. It's almost like, you know, go on then. If you think you're hard enough, as you used to say when I was a kid, come on then, take me on. And, and Satan said, well, what do you want me to do? And Jesus said, create a man. Satan said, no problem. I'll create a man. So he reaches down, picks up a handful of dirt, starts to recreate a man, and Jesus goes, get your own dirt. And that is in essence what it is. There is nothing before him. As much as you have these voices in your head, God, there is nothing before him. Jesus is, was, and will ever be your champion and my champion. And he's still undefeated. He's still undefeated. And this is what one person said about him. Socrates taught for 40 years, Plato for 50, Aristotle for 40, Jesus for only three. 
Yet the influence of Christ's three-year ministry infinitely transcends the impact left by the combined 130 years of teaching from those men who were among the greatest philosophers of all antiquity. Jesus painted no pictures, yet some of the finest paintings of Raphael, Michelangelo, and Leonardo da Vinci received their inspiration from him. Jesus wrote no poetry, but Dante, Milton, and scores of the world's greatest poets were inspired by him. Jesus composed no music, still Haydn, Handel, Beethoven, Bach, and Mendelssohn reached their highest perfection of melody in the hymns, symphonies, and oratories they composed in his praise. Every sphere of human greatness has been enriched by this humble carpenter of Nazareth. So what more do you need to know? And if you don't know Jesus this morning, what more can you ask for? What more can you ask for? El Gibor, do you know the almighty, mighty is here this morning? He's here this morning. And I want to give you an opportunity firstly. If you've never known Jesus as your champion before, if you want to get to know Jesus as your hero for the first time, I want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. You see, you may have heroes, but listen, Batman and Superman don't exist. Don't exist, and they can have no influence on your life. You know, even the sporting heroes, although I admire people and I, I respect them and revere them, I don't have any relationship with them. I can't have any relationship with them. I can only admire them from a distance. Listen, God is not at a distance this morning. He's right here. He is right here. Why not give Jesus an opportunity to be your champion this morning? You know, a champion God who took the consequences of my imperfections and your imperfections onto himself so I didn't have to. Is there anybody here this morning that would say, I want to know Jesus as a champion for the first time? Just raise your hand if that's you. I just want to give you an opportunity for that before we move on. Okay, so I'm going to speak to you now who say that you do have him as your champion as your hero, as your warrior. I've got some questions for you this morning that I've gone through this week, in the last seven days, with, with where I sit and stand with the stuff that goes on in our lives. You know, Have you made Jesus a safe hero? Have you made him into a fantasy hero who, who really has no interaction with your life, has no intervention? You know, He may be a wonderful counselor and he's walking alongside, but you've stopped him engaging with your life in some way for whatever reason, and they may be legitimate reasons. But have you done that? Have we started, have you started admiring him from afar and loving it on a Sunday morning? But I tell you what, you leave him here when you leave. And you meet him again next Sunday. And pick up where you left off. You know, I would suggest as, as well, you know, that sometimes it's so easy to make Jesus fit my agenda and fit my timeline and fit my way. 
you know, Leon made that great line last week about when light comes through, about adjusting ourselves to the light or letting the light adjust us. Do you know what? That really went into me and that came back to me this week. And it's like, do you know what? I can let this adjust my life or I can turn to the light and let the light adjust what I'm standing in. You know, Jesus didn't die so he could be my private hero. He died to be my personal hero. And I just want to pray for you this morning. If you need El Gabor, if you need Jesus as your hero, as your warrior, as your champion in some way this morning, do you know what? He's desperate to cut through our desperateness and reveal himself again. And if that's you, I just want you to put your hand up this morning and just let me pray for you. To the Elgi board become real to you again. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Please, honestly, God is here this morning. I have lived this this week. I can tell you, I know that he is God. Brilliant. I'm just going to pray for you. Father, I want to thank you that your name isn't just about the letters that make up your name. It's about the essence and the character of who you are contained in that name. And God, I want to pray for these lovely people this morning that need to see you again or hear you again or experience you again as El Gabor, as a hero, as a warrior, as a champion. And God, whatever situation they're bringing to you right now, Father, we pray that you would engage in that situation. And maybe you would make a way where there seems no way. You'd open a door that appears to be shut. You would change how we feel about what's going on. Father, would you fight the battles that we cannot fight and win? right now and in our mind's eye would we see you presence yourself in that situation look up look up do everything you can do and then see what I'm going to do Father we give you all of these situations this morning for those who've raised their hands and those who haven't, those who feel that it's too hard to push through. Father, whether it's a tiny step this morning, whether we're taking a big leap of faith, God, your arms are wide enough and big enough to catch us and hold us and walk alongside us and engage with us. And God, we just want to declare this morning the El Gibor over this whole congregation that, Father, we believe you as hero, we believe you as warrior, we believe you as champion. ask it in Jesus name and before we finish I have one more challenge remember I said that Jesus didn't didn't die as a private hero he died as our personal one but he died as our personal one so that we could express him publicly and you could say well how do I do that well do you know what on the 17th of December you've got a brilliant opportunity to do that we have a baptism service here And if you've never been baptised but you'd call yourself a Christian, a Christ follower, what is stopping you? What a brilliant way 
to publicly express what Jesus has done for you personally. And if there's something in your mind that's like, well, there's this, or I really don't feel I can because of, do you know what? They're all conversations we can have. Start the conversation. Start the conversation. You know, speak to somebody. Speak to Leon. Speak to Simon. Sandra, anybody. And just say, look, can we have a conversation about this? I'm not saying yes, but I'm willing to be willing. I'm willing to be willing. And that's all God wants us to be. He's willing to be willing. So please, what a great way to show Jesus is your champion by being baptized. Let's not strip him of his mighty God title. Let's not strip him down to somebody because we find it easy to deal with and easy to interact with. You know, Isaiah tells us that by using this term mighty God, the miraculous has taken place. That the God who was at the start of creation, the God who everything is held together through, is the God that came as a babe so that we can experience during this season and beyond, for to us, for to you, a son is born. One do you need this morning? Remember, he fights for you. And I just want to leave you with this last, this last line. Really, is that in the Bible it says, "Be still and know that he is God." And I want to say to you this morning, this week, remember, be still and know that he is El Gabor, El Gabor, hero, warrior, champion. And I'm going to invite you to stand this morning. We're going to sing this great song. And I want everything in you to come out. If you couldn't put your hand up this morning, but you know that you need God, then he can still meet you. He doesn't need an appeal. He doesn't need that kind of thing. But do you know what? He needs something from you. He needs an inclination. He needs a little spark of something in you that says, you know what, God, I'm willing for you to speak to me. I'm willing for you to change me. I'm willing for you to stand with me in this situation. What an awesome song to do this to. Amen.